I'm Tatiana Bergeson, and you're listening to Toro Town Talks. Tatiana Bergeson is the founder and CEO of Mati Energy. She's the creator of the sparkling tea drink that you may have read about in Forbes magazine or bought at Whole Foods. In our conversation, we take a step further in exploring the well-known story of Tatiana founding Mati while suffering from depression. It might seem like a case of something good coming out of something bad, but as Tatiana explains, there's more to it than that. She also talks about how running a business is a little like being back in school, what it means for your business when you're named one of Forbes under 30, and, not least, what to do in an interview with a prospective employee that is both dishonest and unprepared. Tatiana Bergeson is part of American Underground in Durham, North Carolina, also known as the startup capital of the South. This episode of Tower Town Talks was recorded at American Underground and is the very first one in a series on the wide range of talents and businesses that occupy this unique community in downtown Durham. The first question for Tatiana is this, when she's had a really good day of work, what was it that made it so good? Happy people um, around me, customers sending um, good responses, having a great meeting with a retailer or a brand. Um, seeing a team member or an employee rise to the occasion and succeed at something that they might have been scared to do or have never done in the past that's that's really rewarding uh how about a not so good day what's a typical thing that could be frustrating for you shit hits the fan um somebody's upset about something people drama um Yeah, I guess just a lot of drama or misunderstandings is really challenging or something really disappointing in the business happens like a retailer falls through and is really delayed and we needed that retailer to hit our numbers for the year or something like that. Um, those are really disappointing days, but like the really bad days, it's all about bad people drama. Is there a lot of drama at Mati? No, Mati doesn't have a lot of drama, but um, with any organization that's growing, the more people you have, the more opportunities there are for um, both collaborations and for miscommunications or um, rubbing shoulders in, in a friction-creating way. Um, so it's really, it just comes down to making sure that people are kind and good to each other and you don't take things intentionally the wrong way and you choose to see people making decisions that are best for the company and not intentionally doing something mean just like in school oh yeah do you feel it's a lot like school to run a business uh maybe becoming more so in some ways um and a lot of it is because we have a casual atmosphere at the office we come into the office wearing flip-flops and jeans and a t-shirt Um, and so we're just laid back and we're friends with each other. Yeah. So sometimes if your friend says something mean, that's hurtful. Right. So what was the moment you knew that you had to have a non nine to five kind of work life? <laughs> I didn't really think about the concept of nine to five when I guess I had that realization and it didn't quite come across because of the nine to five concept, but um, I'm half Icelandic, half Venezuelan, and I spent my summers half and half with each grandparent. And my Venezuelan summers were spent on an island called Margarita off the coast of Venezuela in the Caribbean. And 
at the time when I was growing up, my uncle had a tourism business there and he rented jet skis and banana boats to tourists from all around the world. And sometimes I got to drive those jet skis with tourists on banana boats that I was pulling and I got to dunk them and it was so much fun. And um, that's when I realized I wanted to become an entrepreneur because who wants to have a job where you have to work for somebody and work in an office when you could be driving a jet ski and that's your job. So when you started Mati, uh, I know that you're suffering from depression uh, and you started brewing teas for yourself that then eventually led to Mati. Do you consider that a case of something good always coming out of something bad? No, I consider that choosing to make something good out of something bad. And so um, Sheryl Sandberg came to Durham recently to talk about her book, Plan B. And she talked about the growth through PTSD and um, emotional challenges and how a challenging experience in your life that is emotionally haunting and the hardest thing that you've ever encountered in your life before, you can make the decision that you're going to become stronger as a result of it. And it comes through pain and suffering and overcoming that and figuring out how to do it. Um, but it is possible to come out the other side with a better life. Do you feel that Mati could uh, have happened just as easily without you having gone through that experience? Maybe, um, but I think the challenges would have felt harder if I hadn't had the experience that I had of struggling with depression. Because it put things into perspective? Yeah, it put things into perspective. And I guess the, the best analogy and the best way to think about it is, um, so I struggled with depression and that's like enormously painful. And I didn't really know how painful, except that it was crippling. But I came to realize just how painful it was when I was rock climbing, I hurt my knee, but it didn't hurt as bad as depression. So I kept hiking on it for 12 hours. And then I was moving offices in AU when I got back to the office. So I moved my stuff, but I couldn't move my leg very well. And it hurt a lot, but it didn't hurt as much as depression. It wasn't, it was far from that pain. So I didn't think that anything that serious, but a week later, my grandma told me that I had to go see a doctor and it turned out I had shattered my kneecap well, and I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that, that's a great example of just how painful emotional pain can be and that it can be so much worse than physical pain. And um, hopefully that anecdote helps other people have compassion for somebody that's struggling with an emotional challenge because um, that's what that person is experiencing. Oh, yeah. With the success you've achieved thus far, how much of it is uh, the result of careful planning and how much of it is due to sheer serendipity? A little bit of both. Or a lot of both. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of both. It takes a lot of planning, a hell of a lot of work, and um, building a good team around you, and you have to throw in a splash of luck. How lucky do you consider yourself to be where you are Incredibly now? lucky. I'm incredibly lucky to be where I am, and um, fortunate that my hard work paid off with the right opportunities coming at the right time for me. Uh, so you've gotten some impressive press coverage uh, for Mati and yourself, including, of course, making the Forbes under 30 list. How much of a difference has this press coverage made for your business? It's made a big difference in building credibility for the business. Um, that, In particular, I think press and media attention helps start can help startups build credibility for founders when they're investing, when they're fundraising. Um and when they're meeting with large customers. So 
I don't know how much it's really helped us with getting individuals to buy a Mati can off the shelf at Whole Foods or Kroger or Earth Fair or, Whole, or Sam's Club or wherever else, but it certainly helped the buyers at Kroger or Sam's Club or whatever build credibility for why our business is unique. So um, I think the press is helpful for large customers and for investors. In terms of your approach to, uh, to running a business, do you feel that it's mainly about having a good product or do you feel that there's some kind of magic business trick that you find yourself applying? Like to what extent does everything around uh, the product itself uh, play into the success? Well, we continue improving on the product along the way as we're improving marketing and as we're building a team. So that's a that's a difficult question to answer. I don't know of many companies that have just a product that can sell itself. So it's not just about the product, but without a good product, you're either going to have a fad or you're not going to have something that can even get to where you want it to go. So when you, in your head, get a new business idea, how eager are you to share it with others? Oh, I want to tell it to everybody. (laughs) I'll think of who can actually get it done and I'll send them a Slack and be like, oh my God, I just had this idea. Or how about we do this? Or I'll just walk over to their desk and tell them and maybe rudely interrupt whatever they were doing. Um, There's a lot of emphasis on networking these days. If you're placed in a room full of your professional peers in a networking setting, none of which you met before, how do you usually react? I don't like rooms full of people that I don't know. Um, I like smaller groups of people, so it's a little bit overwhelming. I have to take a deep breath and um, maybe drink a mati and have the energy to like go forth and take advantage of this room full of people that could help or whom I could help and then just start talking to people. Do you have a pitch ready? <laughs> once you once you've pitched as many times as as I've ha- I've had the opportunity to pitch, you you're just ready to pitch. Uh, how about when you're on the receiving end of a pitch? How does that feel to you? I think most of the pitches that I hear are from students that I'm mentoring. And so I'm gen- genuinely interested in hearing their pitch because I'm trying to help them improve. The pitches that I hear outside of that are usually from prospective employees who are trying to get a job. And they're pitching what they would do in their first 90 days on the job or why they're the right fit for a particular role. And there again, I'm inherently interested, unless they've really royally screwed up in the first five minutes, in which case I'm not so interested. <laughs> Do you have any good stories about that? Um, one time the, the interview was so bad that all of us, we had six or seven people in the room and all of us were just dying and itching to get out. And it was a long, it was a project-based interview. So all of us were in the room, it was scheduled for an hour and a half And within 10 or 15 minutes, we all knew it was not going to happen, but we didn't know how to get out of it. And then Seth, our VP of finance, gets a text message or a call and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I have to leave. I have to take this. And then I'm like, shit, now I really can't go because Seth was already rude enough to leave. Well, don't you? We find out later he had um, slacked our office manager to call him so he could escape the interview. (laughs) He was much smarter than the rest of us. Well, without uh, giving out too many specifics about this uh, unfortunate person, but what was it that made it such a bad experience? They weren't prepared. They weren't confident. They gave misleading facts that we knew to not be true. And it made us not trust the person. And it just wasn't worth our time exploring it further. If if you can't be honest in an interview and you don't come prepared when you have that many people of a company and you're trying to get a job – That's not, that's not the kind of person we want to hire. 
you would think that be prepared and don't lie were two things that most people knew already. One would think. I'm, I'm st- <laughs> these are things that I'm continue to be shocked by. Yeah. Um, so as you uh, have built your own business, what's the best advice that anyone has given you on business? The best advice I think I got was from Jake. Your fiance. Yes. And it was that you have to be so good that they can't say no. And it came from a painful lesson he had in high school. He was on the traveling base, like a private traveling baseball team. And he was on the JV baseball team. But then he wanted to get on the varsity team. And every time he was in the tryouts, the, the coaches wouldn't put him on the varsity team. And he didn't understand because he was better than the other, some of the other guys that got let in. And so finally, one of the coaches was honest with him and said, listen, you, have, you can't just be better than some of the other guys we let in. You have to be so good that we can't not let you in. And it's, it's a very different mindset that you have. It's not about being bet, slight, you think you're slightly better than so-and-so. That's not good enough. That's not what you should be trying to be. You should, you should be trying to be so good that they can't possibly say no. It would be stupid for them to say no. Right. How many times in a, uh, on a given day do the words Red Bull and Monster either appear in your head or come out of your mouth? <laughs> not that often. They, they come up in pitches, but for the most part, um, I'm, I'm head down in my own business. I'm not really looking to what my competitors are doing or what other startups around me are doing. I'm just focused on Mati. Yeah, okay. That's refreshing. Much <laughs> like a Mati. Yes. <laughs> so finally, what business advice would you give to others? The one thing that you feel that other businesses might be overlooking, the lesson that they haven't learned yet. I think this mindset of be so good that they can't say no isn't something that you come across often. And it certainly parallels for female or minority entrepreneurs. It's not about being good enough. It's being about so good that they can't say no. Um, and you, you make that decision and it's a psychological change in how you approach and see the world. Um, the second one would be something along the lines of a Steve Jobs quote, which was everything around you was made by people no smarter than you. And once you really embrace that you are smart enough to do anything you want in the world, it's not about you don't have the raw capabilities. It's about are you going to work hard enough? Can you, can you bring people around you to make something happen and have a vision for a future that doesn't yet exist? And that's really exciting and empowering. All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. And that concludes this first episode of Tarotown Talks. Next week, my guest will be motion graphics specialist Adam Pyburn. His skills cover much more than motion graphics, however. And in the interview, he talks about the process of narrowing his business down to one main thing and reveals the benefits of having a much clearer focus than before. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Mikkel Elbeck. The theme tune for Tower Town Talks was done by Jason Lila from Granddaddy. The band behind smash hits such as The Crystal Lake, Now It's On, and Seek in a Baja Volkswagen Bug. If you enjoyed this interview, feel free to subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>